G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 22 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5,000 podcast. And today we are joined by Denise, who is a mother of 19-year-old Wilson, who will share their extraordinary story of how Wilson has came into their life. And I'm sure this story will touch everybody's heart. Wilson's story is story number 100 in the book on page 218 in the book. So welcome, Denise, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Wilson's story. You stink. You poop out your side. Don't play with him. He's a baby. These words followed my son everywhere he went as he grew up in a landfill in the Dominican Republic. Kids yelled them out to him. Adults turned their head away from him. Even his own mother expressed words of shame against him. Having a weakness makes you vulnerable when you live in a world that is always on the brink of destruction. When your world is governed by the strong, having a hidden birth defect makes you a target. In November 2011, a weak, scared, sad, vulnerable little boy stepped off a plane, leaving an inner city landfill in search of hope. A ministry and a hospital, a team of doctors and a host family all partnered together to offer hope to a little boy named Wilson. At nine years old, Wilson had already experienced more trauma than most people would know in a lifetime. The third world is not the place you want to be if you need life-saving and ongoing medical intervention, but that is where Wilson was born. As with most kids with IA, Wilson's birth defect was discovered at birth. At three days old, he had his first operation. Unlike kids born in developed countries, Wilson's operation would not be performed until it was paid for in advance. His family scraped together the necessary funds and his colostomy was placed. Pain medication and nursing care costs were not in the budget. And so only hours after his surgery, he went home. Home was a house with a dirt floor and a tin roof. The roof was peppered with holes that allowed the tropical rains to enter at will. Home had a river of sewage running down the street, sweeping with it the excess garbage from the city. Home did not have a safe drinking water or surplus food. Home was a difficult place for a healthy child, a dangerous place for Wilson. Two years passed while the family saved for the next operation. When the money was gathered, an anus was created. Again, with no pain meds, Wilson endured the operation and was sent home to recover. At the follow-up appointment, the doctor showed his mother how to do dilations. With no lubricant, the doctor shoved dilator after dilator into Wilson's newly created anus. He screamed and bled as he thrashed beneath the doctor's grip. Wilson's mother watched in horror as she was told to do this and once again was sent home. For three more years, Wilson's family saved money for his next operation, the PSARP or pull-through. Wilson was now five years old. His anus was constructed when he was two. The family traveled to the capital city for his next operation and Wilson and his mother overnighted in the hospital. When the doctor saw them there the next morning, he chastised them for still being there and told them to leave. They boarded a bus for a three hour drive back to their barrio. Again, Wilson did not have pain management. By this time, Wilson had learned that he could bite his hand and at least for a moment, that would cause the other pain to go away. To this day, he bears the scars on his hands from the constant biting that yielded open sores in an attempt to manage the pain. Wilson's mother was concerned that her son was not stooling sufficiently and that the stool that did 
path seemed to be in the form of a ribbon. The doctor dismissed her concerns and within a few weeks, Wilson began to vomit stool. A week later, his intestines exploded. An emergency operation was performed to repair his intestines and Wilson was sent back home to recover. Within a month, his intestines exploded again. This time, the doctor opened Wilson's side once again and placed a colostomy. The anus created at age two had constricted to the point of having only the slightest opening. It was not sufficient for passing the stool of a growing boy. With no money to buy colostomy supplies, Wilson's mother went back to how she had cared for his colostomy originally. She placed a diaper over the stoma, wrapped his abdomen with an elastic bandage and a tight t-shirt and then pulled his clothes over it all. The binding was the only quote unquote colostomy bag that Wilson knew. They didn't have enough money to keep the diapers changed frequently. So his skin broke down, the stoma bled and Wilson continued to suffer. Wilson was now six and it was time for school. At the bottom of the hill in the center of the landfill that Wilson called home was a school. It had two rooms, about 40 desks and serviced the 600 families that called this space home. Wearing his school uniform over the binding which covered his colostomy, Wilson headed to school. Wilson was shy and cautious. He had already learned that people can hurt you. He didn't trust easily and kept his distance, but the kids smelled him. They started taunting him and the taunting became physical. The teacher tried to help Wilson by letting him leave a little before the other kids, but the years of poor nutrition and limited activity had left Wilson physically weak. He could not outrun the kids. They threw things at him and laughed at him and Wilson withdrew into himself, protecting himself the only way he knew, isolation. About this time, a ministry working in the landfill learned about Wilson's birth defect. They wanted to help, but didn't know how. They tried to get him the help he needed in his home country, but could not find doctors who knew how to help Wilson. They started looking for doctors in America who could help. It took three years before they found a hospital and doctors who would agree to take on Wilson's case pro bono. In November 2011, Wilson arrived in America. This is where we entered his life, first as a host home and later as his family. We learned about Wilson and his medical issues one week before he came. The ministry had made a video that told of Wilson's plight and asked for help so that he might receive the care he needed. Our family opened our hearts and home to Wilson and his mother. We drove them to appointments and prepared for the operation that would quote unquote, fix everything. I look back now and realize how naive and ignorant we were. We had no understanding of IA and the lifelong implications that it holds. We had no idea that what this little boy had endured and how it had scarred him, not only in his abdomen, but also in his soul. One operation turned to two procedures, quote unquote, were needed to try to ascertain what had been done previously. We became frequent flyers at the local hospital. After a hundred times under anesthesia, I quit counting. Then their six month visa expired and we applied for an extension. The extension expired with the end still nowhere in sight, Wilson's mother was done. Wilson was not the son she wanted and had he had problems and she was done dealing with them and dealing with him. She had endured what she could. And then six months after traveling to America, she left. Wilson was nine and a half years old. He was in a foreign country, didn't speak the language and was living with people he had only known for a few months. Wilson's journey toward healing would, was taking another big turn. We became Wilson's guardians and sought the medical care he needed, even in 
a first world context with medical care readily available, dealing with IA is difficult for both the patient and the family. Doing this with a young man who had been highly traumatized was incredibly challenging. We had some amazing doctors who Wilson grew to love and trust. They poured all their energy and efforts into Wilson and he blossomed. He had a new anus constructed. When the doctor said that dilations would be necessary, Wilson started crying, shaking, and trying to crawl away. Even under the effects of sedatives, Wilson remembered. I jokingly said, you don't remember those. You were only two. As tears rolled down his cheeks, Wilson shook his head to say he did remember. He grabbed his leg, splayed it open, and showed what had been done to him. The mind does not forget. Dilations were different this time. I would sit on the bathroom floor and let Wilson sit in my lap and cry as he willed himself to trust me to do the dilations and not hurt him. The actual insertion of the dilator only takes a few seconds, but because of the trauma-induced panic, it required an hour or more twice a day for months. Over time, it got better. Wilson was learning to trust and that things could be different. Eventually, he had a successful PSARP. I had no idea how painful things would get. Wilson's bottom bled, and the weeping tissue caused his clothes to stick to his skin. The tender tissue tore no matter how gentle I was. I remember vividly the day I looked at him walking with his legs bowed outward. I wasn't sure what was going on until he turned and I saw his blood-stained shorts. Wilson was so used to living in pain that he didn't realize there was another option. We soaked his bottom. We watched TV with his bottom open to the air and a fan blowing in it. We offered pain medication, but Wilson refused it. He didn't trust that he would, we wouldn't hold him down and force it between his lips as had been done to him in the past. Finally, the bottom healed and I thought we were done, but then the constipation began. Soon we were doing enemas, which were met with the same fear the dilators had elicited as we spent hours on the floor in the bathroom. In time, Wilson tolerated the enemas and things were going quote unquote well, but well wasn't really that good. Eventually Wilson had a Malone or Mace procedure and was able to administer his own enemas via his abdomen. This was the first time in his life that Wilson had control of his bowels. He was almost 12 years old. At some point in Wilson's early childhood, a doctor had left a catheter in his urethra for two years. It destroyed the urethra and the valve that holds the bladder neck closed. Because of this, Wilson dripped urine continuously. By this point, even though he was socially continent for stools, he still needed diapers to be dry. The local urologist did a bladder augmentation and a Metrofenoff procedure to enable intermittent catheterization. Unfortunately, he did a very poor job. Now, Wilson leaked urine from his abdomen and his urethra. Wilson began to self-isolate and close himself off physically and emotionally, just as he had as a little boy. For three years, Wilson refused to allow another doctor to assess his situation until Dr. Shumal Alam accepted Wilson's case and offered him hope for the first time in his life. Words can never express what that means to a warrior child. We lived with the constant stench of urine. Wilson always carried a backpack full of clothes with him at all times, and our lives revolved around wet clothes and the young man wearing them. Wilson loves animals. Animals are safe because they don't say mean things. They don't look down on you, and they stay with you regardless of your circumstances. Animals would provide the stabilizing force that Wilson needed in his life. The one thing Wilson 
always wanted from his home country was his dog. That wasn't something we could give him, but we did get him a dog and immediately they became inseparable. They romped together on the farm and Amara became Wilson's best friend. When Wilson took Amara to an agility class, the instructor recognized the signs of trauma and PTSD in Wilson and helped Wilson train his dog to become his service dog. This revolutionized Wilson's world. With Amara at his side, Wilson's confidence increased. He was able to handle medical appointments with much greater ease. Amara accompanied him to all his procedures and operations, bringing with her the calming effect as only she could. Amara helped Wilson learn to talk about his birth effect for the first time in his life. About that time, we found a trauma-educated therapist, Carol. Carol has been a steadying force in our lives for the past four to five years and is helping Wilson process all that he has endured. Some of it is medical, some emotional, some physical. Wilson has had to face the fact that his biological mother left him by her choice, has no contact with him. Carol is helping Wilson manage his trust issues and to get them more rightly aligned. She is helping him understand that the past does not have to be repeated and that his new family will always be here for him. She is helping him see that strategies he used for coping when no one was there for him are no longer necessary. The outward scars have mirrored inward scars. When Wilson was 16 years old, two huge things happened in his life. First, he met someone else with IA. After the meeting, he shared with us that until that day, he really believed he was the only one with this birth defect. The second major turning point was that Wilson went to a camp where all the youth had some type of colorectal issues. There, he learned that he was truly not alone. He was able to spend a week with others like him. And for the first time in his life, there were others who understood what it was like to live with IA. These two occurrences helped Wilson choose to try one last time to let the doctors quote unquote fix his bladder issues. When Wilson came to us, we had no idea about IA, but over the ensuing years, we have learned so much. We learned that there are Facebook groups and specialists to help with colorectal problems. 18 years ago, a baby was born into unexpected circumstances. Nine years ago, he entered our world. Three years ago, we were blessed to adopt this precious boy. Today, Wilson stands on the cusp of manhood. The trauma he has endured will always be a part of his story, but it does not define him. God's hand has been on him from the beginning, and I am certain he will guide him into a beautiful future. Well, Denise, it's, uh, I've read that story many times. It hits me every time. Uh, Wilson is an extraordinary young man, and you and your family are extraordinary family as well for... Mm what you've done for Wilson's life when he came to you and the care and everything that you provide for him. And it really shines through when you listen to that. How is it reading it back? It brings you immediately to tears for what this little guy's been through. He's not a little guy anymore. He's bigger than me, (laughs) but just what he has endured is just incredible and horrible. Yeah, I can't. And yet at the same time, beautiful because he's on the other side in a lot of ways. I can't even begin to comprehend anything that he's been through, although I can comprehend the IA side side of things. And it's just, I just, my heart bleeds through him. 
most importantly, how is he going now? Did he recently get his driver's license? He did. So, yeah, since I wrote this story, he had that major surgery and he has been socially continent, clean, dry for two years, which is amazing. And we've been able to see our son come back. He was just literally dying emotionally. And we've been able to see that come back. And so, yeah, about two months ago, he got his driver's license and he's got some part-time jobs and he's applied to go to a welding school. So he's got a lot of things coming up here in the future. It's fantastic. That's I'm finding it hard to describe words of how to actually fit what he's had to deal with and how he's thrived, especially in the last two years since he had that major surgery. And was uh, and that so that sorted out his bladder issues? Yeah. So he had had a bladder neck fistula at some point. He'd had the catheter left in for two years. He had had. We think that when his intestines exploded, that the doctors in the Dominican just kind of said, well, he's not going to make it. And so they just kind of threw everything back in there randomly because there's no order whatsoever on the inside of his belly. So that surgery happened to be on his 17th birthday. He was on the table for about 14 hours and they had to rework his mace. They had to completely redo his metrophen off. They had to stitch his bladder neck shut because that valve was completely pointless. It just didn't work. So had they put the metrophen off in the properly, it still would have leaked from below. So, so now he only can cath through his metrophen off, but right. yes, they were able to take care of everything. And there's a wonderful photo that accompanies the book of Wilson sitting in the hospital bed with Dr. Alarm standing next to him with Amara sitting on the hospital bed. Yes, yes. That dog, I'm not a huge dog fan, but I love that dog. And one night we were in the hospital on a different visit and the dog just started whining and scratching at the floor of her crate and she never does this. And I'm like, oh, you know, and we parents of chronic kids, you get really good at reading all the monitors and I'm looking at them and everything's fine. And the dog is like losing her mind. And, I, and I'm like, be quiet, Amara. And she just wouldn't stop. So I got up and I uncovered Wilson. Amara was on his right side. I uncovered him and on his left side, three tubes had gotten kinked. And when I unkinked them, she laid down and went right back to sleep. She knew she could smell the difference. They are so intricately interwoven with one another that she knew he was not safe. And she alerted us. And I don't know what would have happened if she hadn't been there. That's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And she just, like I said in the, in the story, I mean, she made it where he could let them take blood out of him, put IVs in. She, she gave him the emotional confidence that he did not have by himself. And Amara stools by his side to this day? She is. He, he retired her from being his service dog about a year ago because he doesn't need her like he did. So now she's back to just being his pet. 
that's incredible. And I'd just like to mention that uh, Wilson has consented that we share his story on the podcast. He has. He said he stuck his head in here when I first started and he says, I'm not coming in. But yes, he has <laughs> given him blessing for it. I know that you have listened to a couple of the po- podcasts with him. How was his reaction? So that was really beautiful. So um, actually yesterday we were down in South Carolina, about 10 hours away from our house um, to see Dr. Alam for his yearly checkup. And as with a lot of checkups, it didn't go exactly like you would have liked it to because Wilson doesn't exactly obey the doctor's instructions. And so the doctor was not happy with him. Well, he is 19. He is 19. And I remember this doctor saying, Denise, two-year-olds learn to potty train and they decide whether or not they're going to do it. And Wilson has never had the option of being in control of his own body. And he said, so that's what you're going through. And so I, I so appreciate that even though the doctor is going to, you know, give him the what for as he should, he also understands the why behind Wilson's behavior. And anyhow, so we were on our way home from that appointment and I was pulling up the podcast and we listened to him and it was really cool because it's a, it was a beautiful kind of passive way of helping him again, see that he was not alone and to hear that other people, even in first world countries had botched surgeries and misdiagnosis and things like that. So then as we started to get close to home, I turned it off because we were, um, we were, I didn't think we had enough time to hear another one. And I wasn't sure how he was feeling about it. And he said, mom, back on, we got enough time. We can listen to one more. And so I loved that because there were parents with little bitty kids that we listened to. There was, you know, the friend of yours that's 14 who read some of his own story on there. There was a 25 year old from um, out West. And so he got to hear the perspective from a lot of different places. And it was, it was, I believe, another piece of the puzzle of healing for Wilson. Oh, that's, that's wonderful to hear. I'm, I'm so happy. That's what we're all about, letting these kids and families know that they're not alone now. And you've got a rather large family yourself anyway, haven't you? We do. We have four biological children um, who are all four married. And then Wilson, and then nine grandchildren. And uh, yeah, so we have a, a pretty good sized family. And I've, I've seen a photo of the whole family with Wilson just coming to the hospital, I think. And it was amazing seeing them all there supporting him. Yes, for sure. We just, we drove to North Carolina on our way to South Carolina uh, to go to one of our son's houses and visit with him on the way. And one time Wilson was in the hospital back here in, we used to go to the hospital in Kentucky. And on that particular stint, things didn't go well. And he ended up having three surgeries in four days because things started going from bad to worse. And I never leave his side. I sleep in the room. I'm just there for him. And I woke up, you know, people are in and out all the time, all night long. and. I woke up and my son had driven 12 hours through the night to get there to encourage Wilson. And I thought, that's love. That's love. It doesn't have to be blood. That's love. 
and Wilson is really tight with him. That was the one who, that's the one who lives in North Carolina. I just, you know, that, that spoke so much to my heart for how both of them love one another. And because Adam was there, Wilson got up where Wilson just didn't want to get up, but he'd do it for Adam. Oh, that's incredible. And this story just captures so much of the human spirit really, doesn't it? Like against Mm -hmm. adversity and you, your family came along at a time when he desperately needed someone. And then when his biological mother went home, like for you to, for you and your family to take on that responsibility of Wilson with all these medical issues was, it's just remarkable. We're, we're a strong family of faith and we feel very strongly that God opened these doors and that he's positioned all this and that he's going to work it together for his good. And we have seen it again and again and again. So on those days where I do want to scream and, and pull my hair out and just be like, I've had enough of this too. Um, I am reminded that God's in control and that I don't have to be. And that's, that's very powerful because this is a very hard journey. That's an understatement to say the least. How does he go now? Like socially, does he talk about his issues with his peers or does he keep it to himself? Mm -hmm. So within the family, and again, like you said, we're a pretty large family. It's very open. We joke about it. You know, somebody will be like, man, I hurt my arm. And he'll be like, I don't even want to hear it. You know, and he'll (laughs) like pull his shirt up, like check that out, you know, beat those scars. Um, (laughs) You know, so he's, so he's learned to joke about it within the family and to know that that's safe. And just in the last couple weeks, I've noticed, like if we are out somewhere and he needs the calf, instead of, you know, squirreling the lubricant and the catheter into a pocket and trying to hide it, he'll just wrap the catheter, you know, still in the package around the, uh, around the tube of lube and just head on in, you know, so he's getting more comfortable with that. He has in the last year shared some of his story with some of his peers, you know, and he'll just couch it with, yeah, I got just all kinds of crazy medical problems with my gut, you know? And so he's not, you don't don't have to be real explicit, but you can say, yeah, sometimes I have to do things different because my, my gut was made different, you know, but he's getting there. Well, when people start listening to this story, I'm sure that there's going to be people that all sort of like have so much more understanding and respect for what you, he and your family have gone through. I've, I've got no doubt about that. And you said he's starting to work a little bit part-time. Having that independence must be incredible for you to see. It really is. You know, I think all parents who have a kid with anything special have that spot in their heart where they're like, how's this going to work when I'm not here? You know, and this birth defect is very high parental involvement in the front half of life. There's just no way around it. And so that transition is a challenging thing. But then when you come from Wilson's background where there wasn't the love in the connection at the front end, he wants so much to be like, like, I don't need you. And yet he needs you. And so with this independence, it has been really beautiful to see him rightfully own that and be able to move, move forward. Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's a huge fear, you know, just how do you, 
And I, I've asked you this, how do you work with this silly bowel that decides to just, you know, start moving at the most inopportune times or, you know, or you just have to stop what you're doing because when you have to cath, you have to cath. You can't just be like, Hey, I'm working on the line, you know? And so, yeah, it's been, it's been very good for him. We see a lot of emotional growth with the independence. Yeah. Well, it becomes ingrained in you to be able to adapt and adjust. I think that because we don't know, <laughs> we don't know anything else, to be honest. Do you want to give us talk about the trauma therapist, Carol, and the impact that she's made on Wilson's life? Sure. I don't even have a clue how I came to find out about. No, actually, I do. One day, Wilson was refusing to do his his flush. And he said, I don't care if I die. And he was resolved. And that's a scary place. And I remember going outside and sitting underneath a tree and just bawling because I mean, I love this kid and, and he doesn't care if he dies. And I had worked with this girl with some refugees and her and her sister went to see Carol. And so, you know, it was just like this, you know, four steps later. And um, I called that mom and I'm just weeping. And she said, you need to get, you need to get help for him, for you, for your marriage, for everything, because this affects everything. And we started going to see Carol and for probably the first, I don't know, year, maybe two years, he attended the sessions, but he really wasn't very involved. And in the last couple of years, he started owning it. And um, since that last big surgery, he has fully owned it. And I don't even go in with him anymore. And now he drives himself there. And so Carol is, she's a trauma-informed therapist and she does a lot to help him work through what happened and help him understand that when he has an over-the-top emotional response, it's not really what's happening now that he's, that he's feeling. It's all this pent up feelings that he never dealt with. And so she's helping him figure those out. That's wonderful that he's got that support and that you found that support. People probably get sick of me mentioning it when I have the podcast, but the, the emotional impacts on the kids and anyone going through IA and the families is something that in the past hasn't been addressed. And it's now getting a lot more addressed and absolutely needed. And for someone who has been through the trauma that Wilson has been through, I, I can only imagine how helpful it is for him. Yeah, the incident that I mentioned in the story of the day that about the dilations and he he had had the verset to go have a procedure done and the 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 loopy juice and when he he shook his head yes that he and it was just like the slow motion yes you know because he's all grogged up on painkillers that he he remembered Greg he was two when that happened he was ten eight years had gone by. And he just, those tears, those huge crocodile tears just rolling down his face and, and he just peeled his leg open and just started, you know, just silently crying, did not make a sound. That was when I realized, I think how deep the scars really went. I think that was when it really hit me, how much 
what had happened to him had deeply, deeply, deeply scarred him. Yeah. What was the reaction to family and friends when the book came out and you shared the story, what you've just read? Well, we are like the wide open book family. Like, so everybody knows everything. And like, you know, you can be eating dinner and talking about, you know, colon cleanses and it just doesn't phase anybody at our house. So, so for our, I've learned that that's not appropriate everyone. So for our family, it was more, you know, when you walk it every day, sometimes you, you, you don't see everything because it's changes so little at a time. And so for our family, every one of my brothers, sister-in-laws, my parents, um, Daryl's family, they each took the time to sit and read it and then came back wiping tears and saying, man, you know, I'd forgotten some of that, you know, and just, it, it just reminded us again of just how far he's come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap it up? You know, one thing that I think is really unique about our family is that we are an adopted adoptive family of Wilson with IA. But, and so we get all the, we get all the, the trauma and the missing pieces of the background that any adoptive family gets. But we didn't set out to adopt Wilson. We were just going to be a house. And we were, I speak Spanish. He spoke Spanish. So we, so most families who check the box and say, yeah, I'll take a child with this disability or that disability. Then they get like a year to kind of think about it and read about it. And they get their child's dossier and they send it to the specialist and they say what do you think and they start getting community we didn't have that we found out about Wilson on a Wednesday and he moved in Sunday the week later and I had no idea what imperfect anus was I think I called it I called it something else like for the longest time I think I called it I don't remember what I called it but anyhow I didn't even know the right name for it And I certainly thought you just had one surgery and then it would all be good. And we'd all, you know, clap and take some pictures and he'd go back to the Dominican and that would be the end of it. So in some senses, we're, we're an adoptive family who has all that background stuff, but in some senses, we're just like that family who gives birth to that precious baby and thinks everything's great. And then their eyes are just like whammed with all this information at one time because they find out their child has this. And so we were kind of both of those at the same time. So we struggled for six years before we found out about the Facebook groups and then found out about specialists and found out that what had been done to our child was just so wrong. And so my, my plea for other families is, constantly. And I, and kind of like you said, people might get tired of hearing it, but uh, my plea is go to the specialist. If you have colorectal specialist, if you have like, not just regular urologist, but really specialized urology available where you live, or we drive 10 hours to go to the doctor. You know, we spent the entire month in the hospital in South Carolina, two years ago. My, my plea is find those specialists, make the investment in your child, because as 
IA is hard enough all by itself. You don't need to add any extra trauma to it. So that would be my, that would be my plea. That's wonderful advice. Denise, it's been an incredible experience listening to you talk and especially read the story. You are, as I said at the opening, you are an extraordinary family. And I think the word I can, I would say is inspirational because what you have endured with your journey with Wilson to be able to get him to get the right care and to be able to function the way he is at the moment is, yeah, it is extraordinary. And I don't think there is a word that can describe what Wilson is. It's just, it's beyond words what he's had to endure and to have the support of the love and the support of your family is, and the, the wonderful doctors is just fantastic. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your journey with Wilson with us and to our community, Denise, it's been wonderful. Thank you. I hope it will be a blessing to somebody else. It surely will. I've got no doubt about that. So thanks, Denise. Bye-bye. Thank you.